Thanks for listening to audio from Rockhaven Church. For more information on our ministry, please visit us at our website at www.rockhavenchurch.org. Immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I mean, not uncommon for Jesus at all to, to, to send people away. Jesus craved that time. He desired that time greatly to pray, to talk to God, to continue to refocus, to find out, to continue to drive that through. And it's just an incredible picture, I think, of, of if Jesus does this so much, why do I not continue to do that more? But again, that's another, another sermon. Right. Uh, and after he, had dis- he went to pray, when evening came, so we're getting darker. He was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now we're starting to think the wind was against them. You can imagine they're rowing. The boats back then are not the nice fancy boats they have. They, were, they have a sail. They're probably 16, 18 feet. Uh, we're talking, you know, turn of the century, right? We're talking right around after zero. Uh, 30-some A.D., they're not exactly the... They're better than what they were, but they're not what we know now. And they have oars out. They're rowing. They're rowing against the wind. Seasoned fishermen who have the strength, and they're a long way out. I don't know why they're in the middle of the lake, because I stay away from the middle of the lake, because I know that's where the waves are biggest. And so they're battling against the wind. It's getting dark. This is all setting up the scene. Uh, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So it's, it's dark. It is, it is dark. We're talking late night, different shift, fourth watch of the night. It's dark. He came to them walking on the sea. And maybe it's, I don't know. What, what would my reaction be? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Like, what would I do? Like, what would I have done in that situation? If I'm looking out and all of a sudden you see something coming at you and it's not even in your realm of ideas, of creativity or possibilities, and you don't know what's going on. Like you've been straining your muscles, you've been working hard to row to try to do something, and you know that Jesus is going to meet you later. And you look up, and you see something that absolutely does not fit in any box and any reasonable logic you have in your entire head. What would what, what's going through our head here? But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. I think that would have been my reaction. Honestly, if I were in the same boat, oh man, that was a pun. So they're in the same boat, walking on the sea. This is why this is this is why it's fun, right? He came to walking on the sea, and they were terrified, and they said it's a ghost. So I don't know if if I don't think Jesus was doing some magical glowing thing. I don't think there's any of that going on. I just think this is completely outside of the box of anything the disciples have ever thought about in their entire lives. And they're in, beaten by the waves, they're beaten by the wind, they're exhausted. This is not like this is something completely new to fishermen for a living. And they look up and there is a person coming to them across the sea. I, I, I don't know how Jesus did it. I don't know if the waves parted. I don't know if he rode the waves. I don't know that. I think it's kind of fun to be creative about that. I have no idea. But here is Jesus coming across them and the disciples are absolutely out of their minds terrified. It's a ghost. That's probably the most logical thing they can connect it to. There's something there on the water that I've never seen anything done in my entire life. 
which is just amazing in itself, this story, that Jesus is breaking the laws of physics. Well, he's the creator of God. He can do whatever he wants, right? It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear, but immediately. I'm sorry, there's three of these immediately in this passage. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Immediately. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I love it that the Bible continually tells us over and over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Is it, is it because I'm so foolish and because I'm going to forget and because I need to be reminded of that constantly? Yeah, I really think it is. I think the Bible reminds us over and over and over again because they, they do this with do not fear. They tell us multiple times as well as the Bible says, do not be anxious multiple times because we are going to be anxious. We are going to be afraid. We are going to come to moments in our life when, when I just, I don't understand what's going on. I am just beyond what I can do. I am overwhelmed. I mean, this is, this is where I'm at, guys, because my weekend was just, I'm a little bit overwhelmed right now emotionally with things that are going on. And this is the passage I continually come back to. I've come back to it throughout my entire life. When moments when something in my life is like, I just feel like I'm, I don't know what to do. I, I'm overwhelmed. I can't sleep. You can't, you can't function. You don't want to eat. You just, this stress, this overwhelming idea is like, I don't know what to do with this. And it's, it's a type of fear. It's a type of anxiety. It's a type of wrestling with what's going on in my life. And this passage I continually come back to. And here's Jesus saying to again, again and again and again, do not fear. It's like the gentle reminder again and again. I often think of this like when I tell my wife, I love you. And my wife tells me, no, I love you. It's great. Do I, do I not, do I doubt that? Do I doubt for a second that I love my wife and she loves me? No, absolutely not. So why do I continue to say it? Because it's deepening, because it's growing, because it's expanding, because it's comforting, because it's true, because it's life-giving, it's encouraging. It's the same type of reason the Bible says, do not be afraid. Jesus, he meets us where we're at in the moments of life when I'm a little bit stressed, I'm a little bit tired, I'm a little bit anxious, afraid, overwhelmed. I remember one of the first times I was, I was about to, I was, work, I was working through this passage and I was preaching and at the same time I was a young man who didn't have hardly any money. I was just newly married and I remember looking at our budget and thinking, we're not going to make it this month. And I remember being up late at night and I could remember the tension in my chest thinking, what am I going to do? I'm newly married. I'm this provider. I'm wrestling through this type of stuff. What am I going to do? And it wasn't two days later that a check showed up in our box for the exact amount that I was short. I don't even know who it was from. I don't remember even reading it. That's the funny thing about it. I mean, things like that are just, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Where do I throw myself? Where do I hook my anchor on? Where do I continually run to when life happens? Because life happens, right? It just, it just does. There's, it's, it's, there is no promise in here that says, when you say, yes, Jesus, my life becomes perfect. There will be no issues. There will be no problems. It says, yes, Jesus. And now he's walking through us being the anchor to our very souls. He is a soul-steadying, everlasting, immediately there God. Take heart, it is I. The reassuring whisper of someone who is right near to our very hearts. 
I, don't, I always imagine this as they're rowing the boat and Jesus is way off there and they think it's a ghost and they are terrified and, and absolutely dismayed and what's going on. And they're like, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And I can just imagine that he's still a ways off, he's still far off. But Jesus in his supernatural being of who he is whispers from a quarter mile away. Now we hear it in our very, just in our very being, you know what I'm talking about? It's I, it's me, I'm here, I'm coming to you. And I was there immediately. The comfort, that's, that's the same, that's, that's my Jesus. That's the familiarity, that's the relationship, that's the, the comfort, the knowledge of knowing that he is the one who called me, he's the one who redeemed me, he's the one that is ever-present. Ever-present. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. These last couple of weeks, I've learned a lot about what, where, where I throw my anchor. Where do I put my trust? Where do I put my life, my faith? Because I've, I've, there's so many people, there's so many things that don't have hope. They don't know, they don't have hope. They just, they just don't. That's the lesson I took out of COVID is people don't have hope. They are afraid of what is next. They are terrified of what is next. And they are doing whatever they can to, to fit that into their life. And so part of it is, is, is what is hope. If you want to flip with me, you can. Hebrews chapter 10. And this is what I think hope is. Because I grew up I grew up with hope as the, the very worldly definition of hope is I really, really hope I get a bike for Christmas. That was what hope was for me for well, that's like 20 years. I, I hope this happens. Or it was like a wish. I, I really would hope that this would happen and that would be great. That would be fantastic if that would happen. I hope that will happen. And, and I had to stop when I was working through this passage over the years and, and realize what is hope? What do I actually hope in? What does it actually matter that we have hope in? So I found this passage in Hebrews. It's verse 23. And it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The most important part of that verse is the ending. For he who promised is faithful. Our hope is unwavering. Our hope is not a wish. Our hope is not a, man, this, if this would work out, that would be great. Have you guys ever stopped and thought about it as, as people who follow Jesus? We know what's going to happen in the end. We, we know how the end is going to be. We know our eternal destination. We know how it's going to play out in the end, whether there's some details or not that we don't. We know that in the end, Jesus will win. I will be with him forever, and it's going to be beyond my imagination, better than I can even comprehend or even think about comprehending. That in the end of all of this, no matter what happens from now until that day, no matter what happens, I get to be with Jesus forever, and that will be absolutely fantastic. That's the ending, no matter what happens. That's the ending for me, for us who call Jesus, who believe. That's, that's the kind of hope that, that we have. That's the kind of hope that says it doesn't matter what happens in this life. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, but, but anything can happen. The waves can crash. I can be terrified. I can be anxious. I can encounter life that is overwhelming at times that I don't even know what to do with, but in the end of it all, at the end of the day, my Jesus will still win. He will still be king. He will still be the ruler. It'll still end up where we get to be with him forever. That's, that's the end. That's the end. That's what happens. It's a spoiler. I'm sorry. That's what's going to happen. But that's the hope because I know 
It's, it's, it's almost like that's the light at the end of the tunnel. That's the best way that I can think to describe this kind of hope because I know that the God who's taking care of it all, that the one who is faithful, the one who's made all the promises, who says, I'm the Redeemer, I am the Savior, I'm the King, that's Jesus who's made all these things we studied in Mark. He is the one who's promised it, and it says he's faithful. He is where our hope rests. Think about that. Our hope is anchored to the one who physically cannot fail. He can't fail. He can't lose. He can't not win. Jesus is faithful forever, forever and ever. And that's who my hope is linked to. My hope isn't in hoping harder. My hope isn't in things that are shaky or foundational or even seemingly strong. Everything else lacks the durability and the everlasting strength of a God who physically, who cannot fail. That's my hope. What he says happens. That's my hope. He's the one who promises faithful. So when I confess, when I say my faith, who, is, who sometimes feels blind, who sometimes feels overwhelmed, who sometimes feels frustrated in this life, when I say, I don't know what's going on, God, I, I, I trust you, I'm putting my faith in you because you are the hope, because at the end of this tunnel, at the end of the darkness, at the end of what's coming, no matter what happens in between that, I know that the light, I know that at the end of this, you are God. That, that's just it. So I remember those moments sitting on the couch and, and having incredible things happen. And this is what I shared with the people last night. I'm sitting here talking about this and, and just saying, guys, at the end of all this is that our hope is in something that can't fail. This is where it, where it needs to be. These people don't know Jesus, who I was talking to them about. I went to First uh, John, and it, talk, it talks in there about overcoming the world. And it says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And the question then you ask people is, so what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus has overcome the world? Does it mean that he can break the laws of physics? In a very small part of that, yeah. He, he's God. He's the creator of God. We know that from Colossians, that he's the one who created it and sustains it in motion. Everything. But he has overcome the world. That's, that's, he's, he's, John is taking from John chapter 16 where Jesus says that I have come and I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. But this is coming from a guy who is only chapters away from being taken, beaten, falsely accused, crucified, and then rose again. And he's saying, I have overcome the world. And from the worldly standard, we're saying, that doesn't seem quite right. That doesn't seem like he's overcome or that doesn't seem like he's done something. But what Jesus has done, it says, for those who are in Christ, we have overcome the world. It's not because this is a motivational speech. It's not, that's how I want to take it sometimes. And I read this where it says that we have overcome the world because Jesus has overcome the world. So therefore I can try harder and I can do better and it will be great. No, we have overcome the world because he who promised has overcome the world. My faith my hope, my everything in life is because Jesus has already done it. That's grace. That's salvation. That's not the promise of when I clean my life up, then I can come to Jesus. No. I come to Jesus and he's already accomplished it. He's already forgiven it. He's already taken it. And then we continue to grow with him. We continue to change our lives with him. Uh, N.T. Wright tells a story. It's a parable that he made up. And 
He went to a party, he says, and he was helping his friends serve drinks. And he got all the, the, the tray. I don't ever have a platter in my house, but I remember when I used to work at a restaurant, you know, you have that circular thing and you'd put the, all the drinks on there. And he filled them all the way up so they were rounding out the top. And he put a whole bunch of them on there and he went out in the party. And it must have been a really big party because he went out there and he got bumped. And all the thing, you know, he's got good balance, so he kept it. And there's the water splashes in and out. And he says, what you fill your life with, what fills you when life happens, when life gets bumped, when you get bumped in life, what is inside of you will spill out. And then he just simply asks, what are you filling yourself with? What are you putting in? What are you hoping in? What is your faith in? What are you doing with life? Is it, is it do I need, I'm going to Jesus when I need him? Or am I going to Jesus consistently, constantly, assurancely, going back over and over? It's take heart, it's I, it's the familiarity of it. John and I have talked about this a lot, the abiding nature of our lives in Christ, day by day, hour by hour. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And I've gone through various feelings about this verse. Uh, the first time I read it, I was like, man, Peter, that's awesome. And now I'm sitting here going, Peter, you just tell Jesus to do something? And I'm kind of like, you don't do that. That's, that's, you know, and now it's, but if it's really you, Jesus, Peter says, tell me to come out. I will obey if you tell me to do something. You command me to get out of the boat, and I'll come to you. In verse 29, he said, come. So Peter, you know, I, I don't know how I imagine, I don't know the boat, if he's swinging his leg over, if he's, my imagination, right? Because I would be putting my leg over and, you know, <laughs> testing the water a bit. You're kind of wondering what's going on. But, but he's willing to do something absolutely insane. He's in a storm in a, on the sea, he is a fisherman who knows, who they didn't have swimming lessons back then. He, he, he is putting out what he's, his life is. He's putting trust in, I'm seeing Jesus do something. I know Jesus. He's told me not to be afraid. It's I, I've got this relationship. If he's going to tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. And so he steps out of the boat and he does the physically impossible. Just, just absolutely incredible. This is where the story gets, this is where we want to tell it. I can just imagine the flannel graph when I grew up, you know. Absolutely incredible things. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out. When he saw the wind, it wasn't, I think this is so interesting, it wasn't the waves and it wasn't the depth of the water or Jesus standing right there, the Son of God who created everything. When he saw the wind, when he saw the circumstances of life, and this is what's been so encouraging to me because I've walked with Jesus now since I was little. So it's been, a, it's been a while. I'm not old, but I've got some years, right? And it seems like over and over and over again, it's like, I'm just, I, why do I have to continually learn this lesson, God? Why do I have to continually realize it's the wind that terrifies me? It's the things of life that are overwhelming at times. It's like, well, I'm, I'm walking with God, I'm doing great. And then I get just a little bit distracted or a little bit dismayed or a little bit overwhelmed or something in life is happening. And then all of a sudden I get Jesus is right here. Peter is doing something that no one ever has done in history besides Jesus, like 30 minutes before that. And the wind distracts him and he's afraid. And what happens is he takes his eyes off Jesus and he goes down. 
and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me, which is absolutely my response every time I take my eyes off Jesus. For just a minute, for just a second, for just a moment, for a day, I, Lord, I, even, it's not even like I'm, I'm giving you up to go to sin. It's like I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed with the world. And I come back, Jesus, save me. Jesus, immediately. I don't think this word is used three times by accident. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And this is where every preacher will stop and make their big point and say, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And say, We need to have faith in Jesus and we can do the incredible stuff. That's true. But that's not the main point to me. The passage goes on, and we, I don't know why no one continues to read. So many stories in the Bible have the most incredible endings after the big points, supposedly the big points. Are uh, you little faith? Why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, which is in itself an incredible miracle and a testimony to the power of Jesus. And this is the most incredible verse in this passage, in my opinion. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. All the disciples are in the boat, and they just watch Peter get out, do something incredible. And they all watch Peter utterly fail. They watched him sink. They watched him lose and become afraid and start to go down and have a moment of panic and cry out to Jesus. And Peter, you can just imagine, everyone's drying the boat but Peter. And that's just the way I see it. And the response of the disciples wasn't to be like, oh, Peter, you could have done so much better. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Why did you have more faith? Oh, the result of the story is this. In Peter's failure, in his disappointment, in his not completing the task to, the, to what we thought we were going to do it, everyone said in the boat, they worshiped Jesus and said, truly you are the Son of God. That was the result of the failure of Peter. That's so incredibly encouraging to me. That in, the, what, in this life, in this overwhelmingness, in, the, in what's going on in the storms, things that have just happened in life that don't make sense. Some things when I have not completely done it, I have been exhausted, I have been overworked, I have been overwhelmed. I feel like I haven't done enough. I feel like I haven't read the Bible enough. I haven't spent time with God enough. And then it's that point when I throw my hands up there and say, that's it, I, I, Jesus, you have to do it because I am absolutely incapable. I am, I am done with trying on myself. I'm putting my trust in you because you're the God who can do it. That's all I've got left. With all of my strength I have left, I have just enough strength to say, Jesus, save me. And immediately, he reaches out his hand. And in the failure of Peter, the disciples all watched it, got back on the boat. And their response wasn't to criticize, wasn't to encourage, wasn't to chide. It was to worship Jesus. That is the ending that I want. That's the ending of the life that I desire. I I don't care what happens in the middle. The result of everything I want to do, I want that to be my result. Even in my failures, I continue to give them to Jesus. He, he can redeem them. In my successes, if they're even truly my successes, they're, maybe, they're probably Jesus' successes. They're the ones that worship. I want him to be worshipped. I want him to be glorified. I want everything that I do to reflect that in my life when life is difficult. And life, life is difficult at times. Every year, it seems, I seem to hurt a little bit more. I was up at Fall Fling. Man, I just, this is the one year I was like, every year I hurt more. I take more ibuprofen every year. And that's just, that's, I'm half kidding, but it's actually true. That's, that's just life. 
That's what the result I want, is for people to see, yeah, he was, he was a little weird. That's me. Uh, I, I was a little messed up. I, I'm hypocritical at times. I still sin at times. I still have problems at times. I still get overwhelmed at times. But the end result of this, I want people to look past that and say, but he had Jesus in him. And Jesus is the one who promises is faithful. He's the one who is faithful to the end. He's the one who does the saving. He's the one who does the work. It's not Joel who happens to be associated with Jesus because he's a good guy. I want that. No, I want them to see me and say, even in Joel's brokenness and his successes and in everything in between and all the days of his life, I don't, I don't want them to see me. I just want them to see Jesus working in me who's broken. My body is decaying. It's what's life, that's what happens in this world. Because this world is fleeting. This world is, is temporary. But my hope is in a place that is eternal. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about he has never met a mere mortal. Which sounds funny, but what he's talking about is I've never met a person who's not eternal. I've never met a person who doesn't have an eternal destiny somewhere. Every person, every person we interact with on a daily basis has an eternal soul that will be somewhere forever. That's kind of an incredible thought when you think about it. That every person has an eternal destiny. And we have a hope. The, the, the joy, the salvation of knowing where we can have an eternal place with our Jesus. So that's why I, I really appreciated Jason's vision of the church. We, we don't shout the gospel from our heart. Hey, 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 Jesus, or hey, you, you should, you should come think about this. It's pretty cool. But if we go to people and it's like, well, it's going to be awkward. So Peter's sinking was probably pretty awkward. You get back on the boat and you got to be in front of all your friends and say, I sunk in front of Jesus. Well, it's going to be hard. So it's going to be difficult. That's kind of the point that we grow, that we stretch, that we continue to be strengthened because what's driving us is my hope. What's driving us is that my faith is secure. What's driving it is that I know Jesus. He is everything about who I am, and I, and I want somebody else to know that. And I want someone else to know that. You get the computer rebooted, Michael? It's gone. Okay. Well, I will, I will send it, maybe we'll do it again in another week, I'll have to show it, but I will put it on, I'll put it on the website, you guys can watch it on there too for now. Uh, so It's just been that kind of day today, it really has been. But thank you guys so much for being here, for... Uh,